0: Okay, so we're uh, excited to be starting this, uh, this fourth episode of Terms of Service, and we have with us um, Aubrey Anderson, who's, uh, I believe, in Los Angeles or, uh, yeah, Venice Beach. Cool. So, Aubrey, um, you've had a pretty amazing path uh, leading you to where you are now, so could you uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what you've been doing, what you're doing now? and what your plans are for the future. In terms of the the tools that you're building for the creatives, are you focused on any particular domain or is it just uh, across the board? do you see that as as what people call tend to call onboarding meaning that you are trying to create tools that will make it easier for for non crypto uh people to to jump into the decentralized world Oh. We had a, a conversation with um, with two uh, smart contract developers, um, Nathan Genever from Gnosis and Scott Brewer, who freelances but works on a bunch of interesting projects like Bright Moments and uh, Art World, etc. And they had a position where they were trying to say that the complexity of of onboarding onto crypto is necessary to the ethos and the security of the field, meaning that if things become too easy for people, and that, you know, you start essentially abstracting too much of the complexity, then the decentralization and the security and the privacy start suffering. What is your position about that? Hmm. Yeah. We should uh, get you guys in a room one day to have that debate. Um, so you were saying that, uh, you're in year three of the sort of tenure arc that you've set out to, to accomplish the set up to accomplish the goals that you're working on. What do you see happening in that tenure arc? Like what is the outcome that you are foreseeing? Cool. No, um, well, that sounds exciting. Hopefully, we'll be able to witness this this ten year arc. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that that was striking to me when I was looking at at what the new computer corporation was doing is that it seems like you guys have opted to work closely with the Algorand blockchain, which uh, we in the, in the podcast that we've uh, done so far, we've mostly spoken to people who work either with Ethereum or Tezos or who have created their own blockchains. Um, could you tell us a little bit about your choice for Algorand and maybe describe Algorand to an audience of people who might not have heard of it or who might have heard the name, but don't really know what the deal is with with this alternative L1, as we could call it. Can I just pause you for a second, because what you're saying there uh, refers to something that that we might just have to quickly explain, which is this uncertainty comes from the fact that you're, anytime you do a transaction on Ethereum, and please correct me if I'm wrong, it gets thrown into a, a pool of jobs for miners uh, or validators now since we're in uh, proof of stake. Yeah. And, and there's essentially a, a priority stack where people who might Uh, agree to pay a little bit more in what we call gas fees, could have their transaction be prioritized. Um, If you don't pay the gas fees, you might be put at the bottom or your transaction could even fail. Is that correct in, in describing what you're what you're talking about? Hmm. I have a bunch of questions about that. The first one is just in terms of the the, the transaction fees that you said were fixed, isn't that uh, one of the primary ways that uh, validators gets incentivized is to um, sort of make more money if they respond faster or if they take on more transactions? Um, how, how do they manage to incentivize their validators if their if the fees are fixed? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'll definitely look that up. Uh, One of the things that I've heard um, Silvio Micali talk about, or at least um, I don't think I've completely understood, maybe you can explain it, is that he feels that he's solved the famous blockchain trilemma, uh, which means that you have to, you have to, you have basically three pillars to a triangle, and every blockchain has to sacrifice one of them. So there's security, uh, decentralization and speed—is that right? Yeah. And so, essentially, for example, Ethereum sacrifices speed to decentralization and security, and maybe you could say Solana sacrifices decentralization to speed, or something like that. Everybody has some some compromise they make. But I've seen Silvio Micali say that he solved it. Is that? Would you say that's accurate?
1: mm Yeah.
0: From the perspective of a um, of a user who's sort of coming into uh, the space, um, one of the things that's always difficult to explain to people is like, oh yeah, there are multiple blockchains, I and mean, in each one you need a wallet, and and then people get a little concerned about, but yeah, but what, what if this blockchain, uh, you know, uh, is incompatible with? I can't send my asset from one blockchain to another. and nah, na nah. um, There's all these sort of issues with this L one, uh, let's say, parallelism. Um, How do you feel about that and and do you think that it's a problem or is it healthy maybe just that there are multiple blockchains all doing their thing and does that affect you in terms of your ability to grow uh, user base for, for the tools that you're building? mm Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is uh, definitely the big challenge. Um, and so in t- talking about NFTs, you have developed at least one project that I know of called Stoey, the song that owns itself, right? Uh, which is a music NFT project. Could you describe that a little bit? And I think one of the things that we'd love to, to hear about is um, how you would describe music NFTs because it seems like, it seems music NFTs might be more complicated than an image or a video NFT where you're owning a single asset because with music we have all kinds of different rights that are associated between the distribution or the composition and how, how do you position yourself in that that whole story So, uh, I guess from the perspective of a of a buyer of this NFT, uh, I understand that based on what you said, the 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 money that is generated from the sale of the NFT is distributed to all the people that have contributed to the creation of the song. But what does the buyer get? What are the sort of the rights or the what does the rep- what was the ownership represent? So does this in any way uh, bypass sort of the traditional music distribution system, or is it just a way to to sort of embed a series of rights and let's say royalty systems um, that could still function within the existing music industry? So essentially, if I understand correctly, that you're bundling all of the, um, let's say, the, the the rights holders of a song in a smart contract, of some kind, and then if the song is streamed, let's say, on Spotify or the Spotify of the future, the 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 flow of revenue from that stream will automatically be distributed to all the, the rights owners. Does that sound right? Um so you've spoken to me before about this idea of um, what you think you call disintermediation between artists and audience uh, or maybe that's a term that I came up with I don't know but is it's sort of the idea of removing the middleman right is that is that a concept that you you are that is dear to you or that you find important to to continue to push forward I think that's you you bring up a, a sort of an interesting nexus of of issues related to the relationship between the the artist and the audience. because one one of the things, for example, for us that was a problem with nfts, let's say, from an arts visual arts perspective, is that so we expect an artist now to lose, to not work with a gallery, to set the price on their own work, to communicate about the work, to manage the relationship with the collectors. And essentially, it, it it's great, maybe financially there's a certain freedom, but it's added this whole bunch of responsibilities that were actually well-managed, or maybe not well, but at least were managed in a um, streamlined way by an intermediary, like a gallery or a, a rep or something like that. And I think what I'm hearing you say is that those intermediaries are useful for certain things, but they should be taken out when it comes to the sort of complexity of the flow of, of money or of uh, payments. yeah, you're sort of aiming towards something that I think a lot of us would hope for is a a streamlining of the entire system of cultural production uh, where we have less complexity, a little bit more transparency, um, and sort of an easier relationship between the artist and the audience. Is that would that paint the right picture? Yeah, definitely a, a lot more to talk about on that front. But one of the one more question I wanted to ask you today, specifically, and and I think from the conversation, it seems pretty clear that you're not some kind of crypto maximalist who uh, who is uh, purely invested in the in the space just for the space. Um, which there are a lot of people out there who seem very defensive about about crypto as an environment, and who are all pretty shocked about what just happened with the collapse of so many different let's say potentially reputable crypto financial institutions that have sort of collapsed one after the other in the in the course of the last few months and now you know we get asked a lot like that's it is it over you know the cover of the economist uh, this month is uh, is crypto dead um you know and and everybody's saying like it's it's uh it's like doomsday what what do you what do you say to someone who comes to you and, and asks you that question like what what are what are the things that are still standing, and then maybe is, was there some necessary culling, or uh, wh- what's the status today of of the of the situation with with crypto and NFTs and all that? They just changed them now, you mean? Because of recent And maybe the last question for me would be if um, we have we have a lot of artists who come to us and who ask us like why they should do their work on in this decentralized field, Uh, what would you tell an artist who asked you that question? (laughs) Great. Well, thank you. Nico, do you have any questions?
1: No, it was more like more like going more into depth because I, I don't, some concepts I, I don't really understand. Like, um, at a certain point, you say, if we could, uh, interact directly on chain as an artist, but without platforms. So is it quite, is it today quite difficult for like non non coders, non developers? Yeah, just just a matter of time. Yeah, and the tools. So we need people like you to develop all these tools. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. with a whole whole bunch of people, but, and also about well, yeah, because it's all about decentralization. But we feel that some corporations are trying to um, yeah, to, to slow down the movement. So, what's? Yeah, it's really slowing down the movement uh, because I think if we all would go in the same direction, it would be much more faster probably the development of the blockchain and decentralization. Yeah. Yes. Sí. Sí. It's a good, a nice feature like this. I like it. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Aubrey, for uh, taking the time. And uh, I hope we can check back in and maybe record another podcast somewhere along this ten-year arc that you're on, and uh, see where you're see where you're at. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you.